0: AT&T Threat Track is a roundtable discussion of the latest network security trends and news, conducted by AT&T data security analysts. Complete video of this show is available at techchannel.att.com.
1: Hey John, I hear you have an exciting story about traffic lights well, I don't know if it's exciting, but I thought it was. <laughs> Is it stop and go?
0: Probably a good cautionary tale. It was either last weekend or the weekend before. I can't remember exactly which. In New York City, in five boroughs, they had uh, done a software upgrade on the traffic lights. They had a little bug in their process that caused about 600 traffic lights across five boroughs to fail. Fortunately, when they failed, I think for the most part, they were either flashing red or flashing yellow. It was resolved and it was not necessarily a security vulnerability or a hack per se, but it is one of those kinds of stories that kind of reminds us of how dependent we've all become on IoT type devices, internet of things devices. Uh, And we might not even realize that these types of things are controlled over networks via the Internet, probably not exposed, hopefully not exposed, the the Internet at large, like we see and report about a lot um, on this program.
1: I think it's a constant reminder for us that there's all these electronic devices that we kind of take for granted. It's a little bit different than your computer shutting down because it has impact on many, many people.
0: It's that invisible type of equipment that's out there that we just don't even really think about but they are internet connected in some way and that's how they're managed and updated and whatnot so
1: and also i guess it makes you think like how important patch management is for those systems yeah you you really have to consider a lot more than just some boxes didn't get patched correctly because it actually like impacts people potentially ambulances and first responders as right
0: you know if somebody did discover some vulnerability they could snarl traffic at will as part of maybe some larger plan.
2: We talked about these boxes that get placed on home networks that never get patched and how we you know would prefer that they have some sort of automatic patching process that you know goes on in the background what happens when those patches for some reason fail because as you said this this affected you know less than 5% of the of the total number of traffic lights that were getting the updates, it was only some small percentage of them that didn't work. Yeah, this is that, that counter example to what we often talk about, about IoT devices, wishing they were doing some sort of automated patching on a regular basis. The good
0: thing is, is that they were upgrading, right? They're doing a software upgrade. And the thing we complain about all the time is that a lot of people don't patch, upgrade, or otherwise secure their IoT devices because they just kind of Take them out of the box, plug them in, and then never think about it again. Department of Transportation is doing their due diligence, they're patching them. You know, it's interesting to me, I guess not unsurprising, that, you know, Department of Transportation in lots of places, I would say I see them using and adopting IoT a lot in their business. So traffic lights roadside emergency signs that they put up there, Amber alert, you know, display boards and whatnot. They're all IOT enabled. A lot of them also are um, connected to via wireless. So over cellular networks is their method of updating and interacting with them. It's interesting to me that there's so much of it out there. Most of it's secure. I don't think most people think about how much is actually out there and how much is potentially exposed and using, you know, the internet as their infrastructure for management and control of it. Yes,
1: I almost wonder uh, what exactly were they patching in the traffic light? (laughs) Yeah, that's true. What was, (laughs) yeah, what would they need to be
0: fixed? You think it's pretty simple, right? But, you know, maybe, maybe they were just changing the delay time between yellow and red. Who knows? I don't know how any of that works, but anyway, that's all I really had on the story. So it was interesting, something to, you know, think about and go, hmm, I wonder what else is out there that is IoT connected that we never really think about.
1: First of all, as you're applying patches, you always have to think about rollback or what if something goes wrong? How do we recover from that? And that's part of any patching process if you're doing traffic lights or something else.
0: It's a good thing to patch. Just make sure, maybe test that patch process out in a, you know, a test environment before you roll it out into production. You want to make sure you don't have default passwords on these things and that they're not exposing any services unnecessarily to the internet that would allow them to become compromised
2: otherwise. Dan, I understand you're looking at some Android devices that are being
1: compromised? Yes, there's a subset of Android devices out there that I guess have the debugging interface still enabled, even though it's in a deployed state. Most Android devices uh, in the operating
0: system, they have a debugging port, the Android debugger bridge, which is not enabled by default, but you can enable it and then you can interact with it to debug
1: your program and whatnot. As you're writing software, and especially when it's combined with hardware, there's a debugging process. Android has a great debugging interface that gives you uh, a lot of power and permissions. The problem is, once you, when you deploy the device, you gotta turn that off. This management interface is on port 5555 TCP. Somebody figured out how to build a botnet of these devices. You know, the way I figure is probably there's a specific type of device that maybe somebody was developing, and then when it was time to flash a whole bunch of them, they included. They flashed an image that had this part enabled, and probably forgot to go through that checklist.
2: Yeah, because once you've got access to that, that ADB, you, you know, you can run a shell, because Android is just Linux. So yeah, this is actually kind of scary that that's that that's exposed to the internet. And I I guess the the story that I saw they were using that to install Monero miners on it or something? Yes,
1: cryptocurrency mining. That seems to be the big thing now, yeah. actually. We're all talking about it. It seems to be a good way to monetize the assets you have access to. So, and that's exactly what's happening here. Now, the article I read, it said that uh, since the botnet started, they've gotten about $3 worth of cryptocurrency. <laughs> so it's not really uh, so it hasn't working been, out too well. Yes, it hasn't worked out that well for them yet. Uh, But, you know, in terms of mining, you know, it's a time game. You just, you know, it takes time to mine the cryptocurrency. Otherwise, I guess it would devalue really quickly. Another point in the article was actually some of these miners are so aggressive that they could actually damage the device. Um, um, so that was another point. So the they article. run the
0: CPU so hot that it...
1: Yes, they have that potential. And I'm pretty sure these fraudsters don't really care about the devices yeah. they're impacting. It's not so, theirs, so what do they care, right? Okay. So they're probably not doing like production level testing <laughs> to make sure the, there's no side effects of, run, of running this on all these compromised devices. You know, when you're developing an application or a product or an IoT device, there's a a part in your development cycle where you need a debugging interface turned on but once you're done you got to turn that off before you create the production image i would say that's probably the, the most important lesson
0: there's some opportunity for someone to have some kind of not necessarily a government underwriters lab kind of thing but something some independent group maybe a consumer iot group that does some kind of testing of the devices that people release and certifies, it says, you know, this passes the top 10 checks that we find, of, you know, most vulnerability things, you know, something that looks for, like, all those really common things, like what ports are open and whatnot, default passwords, things of that nature, and says, you know, it gives some kind of seal of approval or something that the vendors you know the manufacturers can put on their boxes and say, hey, we're, you know, class one certified for, for this kind of thing. I think there are some IoT-based industry working groups trying to think about that, but I don't know if they've gotten anywhere with it. So, but it would be nice to see something like that.
1: I hope the Underwriters Lab does do it because it's like well-recognized. And I thought I read an article um, somewhere, like a few weeks ago, that actually said that they might be looking into that. So, I hope hope they are.
0: Okay, no, yeah, I hope so too, because We need better security around these things, uh, especially when it's not something you actually physically touch from the computing standpoint on a regular basis. And it's just kind of a device that's out there, and you just take it for granted that it's working properly but you don't have really good insight to what it's doing at the network layer. Yes. You know, something like this is kind of needed to know what is your exposure with this new device that you're bringing into your house or your business. You might wanna to try to do some uh, scans or test to see if you have a lot of this inadvertently enabled on your devices. You could probably use Nmap to scan, find out what devices uh, either in your corporate network or exposed to the internet are listening on that port and then make sure that those get closed down.
1: For organizations that are creating uh, software and hardware, it's probably a good idea to have like a pre-deployment checklist before you put your solution out there to make sure that you go through all the things that need to be turned off. One of them might be to make sure you turn off your debugging interface.
0: Hey, Jim, I guess uh, it sounds like there's another little snafu over there with WordPress that you were looking into. Can you tell us more about it?
2: Yeah, you know, we often talk about making sure that folks who run WordPress sites update them in a timely fashion. Well, this past week, the WordPress folks released a maintenance update to the WordPress engine itself, version 4.9.3. It was intended to fix some uh you know, minor issues, some basic bugs that they had found. In the process, though, they broke what was a pretty significant feature to WordPress, which was the automatic updates to the WordPress engine itself. So the next day they released 4.9.4, but 4.9.4 was going to require you to manually update to re-enable the automatic updates. Neither of them have a fix for a CVE 2018-6389, which is a denial-of-service vulnerability. It looks like there are some mitigation techniques out there, but hopefully the WordPress folks will be releasing a 4.9.5 here pretty soon to fix that that denial-of-service vulnerability because... Yeah, there are more and more sites out there that are running under WordPress. There are hundreds of thousands of them now on the internet that use WordPress for their content management. Heck, I manage three WordPress sites myself. It's a really popular content management system and you really need to stay on top of patches for things like that.
0: There might be the opportunity or potential here for a lot of WordPresses that were automatically getting updated. They hit that 4.9.3, and now they're going to get stuck at that point until you take some manual intervention to upgrade to 4.9.4. It sounds like there's probably a lot of people out there who are under the impression, you know, they installed WordPress a couple of years ago, and they just think that that auto updater is on. And if they're not paying attention, now their systems are not going to get updated unless they take some manual intervention, right? it's gonna stay at this 4.9.3 unless they do something to move themselves up to 4.9.4.
2: Unless they've got some other mechanism. Some hosting sites do automatic updates of the WordPress engine via something outside of WordPress. Depending on how your hosting is set up, it, it might take some manual intervention. So it it's a good idea if you manage any WordPress sites to go out and check. You go into your dashboard, You go to the Updates section and it'll it'll tell you whether there's an update available. You click a button, you sit there and you watch things spin for a little while, and in the background magic happens and it updates. Okay.
1: I have a feeling. That two years from now, the most popular version of WordPress is going to be four <laughs> nine three, <laughs> and uh, when people start trying to figure out why that is, they'll find this threat track video where Jim explains it. <laughs>
2: no, I I think that old sites will be abandoned and new sites will come up on newer versions. So I don't think it'll be the most popular version in two years. But I appreciate the thought. <laughs> <laughs> If you're not in there on the dashboard on a daily basis, set something up to automatically let you know when there are new updates available.
0: That's a good point, because oftentimes it is the plugins that end up being uh, vulnerable to some, you know, little quirky vulnerability that someone discovers, and then they use that to turn your WordPress site into a malware distribution point. <laughs> All right. Well, it sounds like, yeah, it's definitely one for people to take a look at uh, to make sure that they are upgraded, um, if they run WordPress. So, uh, I think that's an important thing for people to be aware of. If you have WordPress sites, go check to see what version you're currently running at. If you are at 4.9.3 or less, make sure you get up to that 4.9.4 level. Otherwise you might get stuck at that old version forever and not ever notice it. All right, Stan. So I thought we'd take a look at the internet weather for this week and, um, no major surprises it's been pretty you know a pretty uh, regular set of cast of characters on the top 10 uh, lately however uh, port 8545 did uh, jump up into the top five spot and it was way down in 174. we've talked about this port before and we've got a chart on it that we'll talk about in a second it's actually not as bad as it looks even though it's gone all the way up 169 positions so in terms of the most sources probing when these are usually more indicative of botnet-related activities because you can get a whole bunch of sources doing the same type of scanning uh, simultaneously. Web port 8080. We are going to take a look at this. Even though it's only come up four positions since last week, there's actually a little bit of a change in movement here that we might want to take a closer look at. So let's take a look at port 8545 TCP. This is related to Ethereum. And I guess it was back in 2015, so it's been a couple of years now. There was a security vulnerability in this Geth wallet that listens on port 8545 and i guess some people had their devices computers exposed to the internet with that port 8545 exposed somebody figured out a vulnerability and they went and they started stealing money from people's ethereum wallets it's not funny and ethereum is another one of those cryptocurrencies that we've talked about it's similar to bitcoin and monero and some of these other types of cryptocurrencies, but it's very popular nowadays. Uh, so there's not a lot of scan sources involved. It's only about five to 10 sources per hour we're actually seeing doing this. But the reason it actually jumped up so much is because when we do our kind of measurements here, we're looking at you know yesterday, actually look at yesterday, get a whole day versus exactly a week ago. And when you look, exactly a week ago is this real divot where it stopped for some reason and then it's since gone back up, so it looks like a big change. But in reality, it kind of, since there aren't a lot of sources doing this, it's kind of stops and starts. And uh, that's why we can see it you know, drop off the top 10 list, but then come right back up again. Uh, when they do start scanning on it uh, heavily.
1: So it's probably not a botnet or anything like that, just a few industrious yeah, that's people what I would think. looking to steal money.
0: Yeah, because not a whole lot of scan sources involved here. So then the next one we had was port 8080
1: TCP. 8080 TCP? It looks like maybe there's a new botnet developing, or possibly it's been around, but it just became interested in port 8080 TCP.
0: Port 8080 TCP, there's a significant increase in scanning activity in terms of the number of scan sources. This is a a one-year chart I'm showing here. We always see scanning on this port, uh, because there's a lot of services running on this port. It's commonly used, even though it's the alternate HTTP port. But recently here within the past week or so, it's really climbed up. So we went from, you know, let's say maybe a peak between the four to five thousand scan sources per hour, you know, back in here, we've jumped all the way up to about sixteen to eighteen thousand scan sources per hour. So that's a pretty significant, like a threefold jump um, or more. All of a sudden, within the past week or so here, it's gone up to about 15 to 17,000 scan sources per hour, and very quickly. So that sharp incline rise, very botnet-like uh, looking. You can kind of see it spiked really quickly, and then it has this decay, that sawtooth waveform, which is usually really indicative of botnet-related activity because yes. they all start at once. The fast ones finish quicker. The slower ones take a little more time, and you get this kind of sawtooth waveform that shows up. Sources are distributed pretty widely geographically. There's no particular type of device I see involved here, Um, but I didn't take a really hard look. I was just kind of looking at the geographic distribution.
1: That's a pretty interesting one. I guess there's a new botnet form. Yeah, there's
0: something going on here for it to jump to that level. When you look at a one-year chart you can see it's never really been that high uh, over the past year so
1: i guess i know what i'm doing when i get back to my desk
0: <laughs> well yeah we could take a closer look and try to figure out if there's a specific botnet related in this and it's probably you probably be a good chance to be able to determine that and then lastly this one's a pretty obvious something's up something is afoot right Uh, So this is a 30-day chart, and um, over the past 30 days we really had minimal to no scanning activity on this port 5555-TCP. It's actually related to a service port for um, Android. And actually these numbers are right around, let's say, it looks like it's almost about 5,000. So right in here is that 5,000 scan sources per hour, upwards of 7,000 maybe at the top end. Uh, And this just started around February 3rd or 4th, I'm going to say. There was an article came out, I think you're going to talk about this as well on the show, that there's a new botnet forming by this Android debug bridge that listens on port 5555 TCP, and I guess some devices have that open.
1: It was interesting to see that uh, with our tools as well, we were able to correlate the same findings or similar findings as other security researchers out there. So we we're also able to see between five to 7,000 unique devices.
0: That's probably what's attributing to this quick rise in scanning on that port. Um, and other interesting thing is this article says about 5,000 Android devices, which lines up almost exactly what we're seeing. So that's a, a pretty good metric yeah. that we're seeing about the same exact numbers as they are
1: yes yeah, so it did come up kind of quickly too you could see it right on this day boom right yeah and all those devices it probably yeah. is a very good exploit right? yeah it
0: probably is very easy exploit to execute um, it looks like it's kind of wavering and maybe trying to kind of trailing down but I guess we'll see over the next couple of weeks how it looks.
1: Uh, we'll I guess once they get discovered in a big way, it seems like security researchers and uh, you know other people start taking action, so it starts yeah. tapering down.
0: And uh, that's all we had for this week. The views expressed on AT and Threat Track are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT and or any other person or entity.